had a chance, a really, really cool opportunity to travel abroad. You know, there's some of those programs where you can like, it's, it's sad how much you're paying for college, right? Like you can, you can go to college at your town, you know, in, you know, in your state, or you can go to like Greece for a year, you know, or and in this case, I got a chance, um, I was looking at a program that was based in Israel, in Jerusalem. It was called Jerusalem University College. And it would be like, like, I mean, there was history. You could spit on history out the window of your dorm, basically. It was this really, really cool opportunity that I got pretty excited about. And um, I applied, got accepted, um, you know, obviously prayed about it. Like, should I, should I leave Colorado, go do this? I was at Colorado Christian University at the time. Christy and I, this is like late in our college career, like we'd been dating for years, we're talking marriage, we're like, you know, if I do this, we might not be able to get married as soon, like all of these create, you know, like pretty big life decisions, right? But I really felt like I was supposed to, to do this and go for it. And then 9-11 happened. And obviously the atmosphere in the Middle East changed overnight. And, and for, for those of you who remember it, it was, it was kind of unfolding as it happened, right? Like, so at first, I was like, I thought the program would maybe shut down, and it didn't. So I'm like praying about it, talking to my parents about it. I'm like, no, I think, I think I'm still going to go for this, this semester abroad in Israel. I think it would be great. Fast forward to early December. I mean, just weeks before I'm supposed to ship out to go across the world, the, the program shuts down completely. They, they like just, you know, stop. They're like, hey, we're, we're not having the program next year because of the turmoil in that area because of 9-11. And I remember just being, I, I remember I was supposed to go with my, my, my buddy Gabe and I were going together. Um, and I remember he and I going to the cafeteria at, college, at the college and just like sitting there and not saying anything. <laughs> we're just like, what just happened? The best way I can describe it is like, and this may be not the best pastory way of saying it, it felt like a hangover. It felt like it was like, like I was all hopped up to go on this trip, like really excited, and then all of a sudden, bleh, you know? And honestly, I, I struggled because I was like, God, I really felt like you were leading me in this direction. I, I felt like I put a lot of time and energy, prayer, thought, you know, like, I thought this was your will for my life, and now all of a sudden, that's just gone. I felt, I felt silly, you know, like, for thinking about it, like, for all the time I spent. But most of all, I felt like it was, like, this, this jarring. Have you ever, you know, like, like, have you ever had something in your life where you're, it's like you're run, 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 and all of a sudden, something yanks you back, you know, like, like a dog on a leash kind of thing? That's kind of how it felt. It was just, I felt juked is a, a good word for it. I felt like God kind of like baited and switched something on me. Have you ever had one of those? You know, where you, you prayed about something for a long time. You prayed hard like you should, like a person of faith should, if you're a person of faith. And then nothing happened. Have you ever had like, you, you felt led to do something. You felt really like strongly, this is what I need to do. And it just totally didn't work out. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Have you ever thought you were doing the right thing? Like, this is the right thing, and I'm going to do it, and it totally backfires on you. Yeah, we've all had those things. E even if you're a student, you probably can think of some things in your life where it's just like, I, I thought I was in the right place, but then it turns out 
I wasn't. And, and it can be even more subtle than that. Like, we're, like sometimes in life we're in the middle of the midst of something and you just feel you've been at a job for a long time and you, you, it, when you started the job, it was the right job, but all of a sudden you just felt, you, you like wake up one morning and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm stuck here. <laughs> this is just stale. It, it's, it's, or maybe the future's uncertain. And, and you know what happens when we have a lot of that is, is the older we get to this happens, we start to get jaded. We start to get cynical. Not that we don't believe in God still, but we're just questioning, like, we're not as optimistic as we once were in what he is up to in the world, right? Those are good questions. Those are good. Those are things that we go through as people of faith. And, and the question that we're going we're gonna to have, a, we're going to do a series for the next three weeks is how, does a, how do we, as people of faith, maintain faith through that? And if you're not a person of faith, or if you're on the edge of faith, this is going to be a really good series. I'm going to talk to people of faith. But it's going to, like, how, how, because maybe part of the reason why you're on the edge of faith is because of this kind of stuff. <laughs> you feel stuck in life. You, you're question, you don't, you, you don't necessarily question you're, maybe you believe in God, but you're like, you're not sure how it works out if you can trust him because there's certain things that haven't worked out in your life or other people's lives. Like, how do we make sense of these things? And to do that, we're going to do two things. To, to entertain these questions, we're going to look at two things. One of them is a story from the Bible, and then the other one's a question. And it's a really, really good question. And it goes like this. In fact, this, this, is, uh, this is the question. I almost put this at the end of the sermon. But it's like, no, that's bad preaching. Because this is what I want you guys to do. And, and so this is, this is the question that we're going to just kind of entertain for the next three weeks. Is kind of guide our discussion. And it goes like this. What would somebody or someone who is you do if they were completely confident that God was with them? And I know it's a really wordy. Some of you just flinched at how wordy that question is. It's super wordy. It's a bad grammatical question. I don't grammat. It's just bad, okay? But, but it works because it, it, what it does, it, let's read it again. What would somebody who is you do if they were completely confident that God was with them? What would somebody who has the same house the same job, the same family background, the same brain, the same scenarios, the same letdowns, the same past, the same bad habits, the same decisions that you've made in life. They're, they're exactly the same as you. They are you. But they're 100% confident that God is with them. How would they live? See, these, these kind of questions are really important. Because they bring us out of our context, right? They kind of, they, they, I think a question like this, if you were to, to take this home with you, if you will, have this walk with you this week, has the potential and the power to kind of get you out of your head. <laughs> you know, like, like we get in our heads sometimes. We get stuck on something and we ruminate and we stew and we stay there. And a question like this has a, 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 an ability for us to be like, oh, no, no, wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of going down that cycle again, that circle, that, 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 you know, that path where I don't get anywhere. My, my, my wheels end up spinning and I'm just stuck in the mud. 
how do I back away from that and just ask, okay, but if I did believe and, and completely trust in God, how would things be different? See, this is an invaluable question for us as believers. If you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, questions like this are extremely important sometimes because they help us step into faith and they help us step into trust. And if you're not a believer, if you're on the edge of belief, this is a really good question because it's almost like training wheels. <laughs> you, can you can slap these onto your life. You can, you can just ask this question every once in a while at key times and be like, okay, I don't, I don't, not sure if I believe, but if I did believe that I could trust God in this situation that I'm facing right now, what would it change? Would it change anything? What would I be able to do confidently, say yes to? What would I be able to, 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 to take on, walk towards, if I was confident that God was with you? I mean, this is a good question. Like, just, here's another version of this question. What would you do in life if you were 100% confident that God was with you? What would you take on? What would that change? What would you want to see done? And what would you go towards if you believed that? That's the question. I want this to go with you. I want you to write it down, take a photo of it. it, it I want, like, our goal in this series is this kind of just walks with us for a couple of weeks. That's the first thing. The second thing, and literally this is going to be up the rest of today because we're going to read from Scripture, and I want you to open your Bibles to actually do it. The second thing that I want us to follow when it comes to entertaining these questions is a, is a, young, a story from the Bible from a young man named Joseph. Now, if you grew up in church, you're familiar with Joseph, Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat, right? Um, and we'll talk about it. It's a long story. It starts, it picks up when he was 17 years old, and it goes well into his 30s. So we're talking a big chunk of time of this guy's life. Lots of details, amazing details. Like, like uh, you know, it's, it's found in um, Genesis chapter 18, or no, uh, Genesis ch chapter 37. If you want the church, grab a church Bible. So you need your Bible, grab a phone or, or, or a Bible because we're going to read through a lot and kind of skip around this story a lot today. Page 18 in the church Bibles. And here's, here's why this story is, is so important. Get, get, in, get to where you, are, you need to be in the Bible and then and eyes back up here. Don't stop reading. This, this story is so important for a couple reasons. First off, Joseph, this, this guy Joseph, finds himself in circumstances that are so terrible, so horrible, so horrific, that no matter what you're going through, <laughs> I can say this with confidence, no matter what you've, go, you've gone through, you're going through, Joseph had it worse. I, I, I think that it's pretty certain that Joseph had it worse than, than we have it, or we've had it. He had it pretty bad. And we learned that God was actually with him through it. That's, that's why this is a story that's so important. This is a guy worth listening to, paying attention to, because he had a horrible situation, and God was still with him. Okay? And on the flip side, on the, the back side of Joseph's story, he becomes so powerful and so wealthy, and, and no matter how wealthy you feel, no matter how powerful you feel, he would dwarf you. Like, it's just not even possible to touch what this guy 
had in power and authority and wealth. So he's on both sides of the equation. And what we're going to find is that God was with him. And what we find Joseph doing throughout the story in the low times and in the high times is we just simply see Joseph doing what this question asks. He's just doing, he's simply doing what anybody would do who is 100% confident that God was with them. And so it's a story worth paying attention to. So here we are. Genesis 37, page 18. As a little bit of background, uh, you've got Abraham, you've got Isaac, you've got Jacob. Those are, those are like the patriarchs of, of Israel. The, Abraham is the guy that God called out of a foreign land to bring to what we now call modern-day Israel. And he had a son named Isaac who had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had lot, 12 sons, 12, yeah, at least 12 sons, and his, one of them was named Joseph. That's our guy. That's in history, okay? And, and so, so just keep in mind there's no Moses. This is hundreds of years before Moses is born. There's no nation of Israel. There's no law. There's no Torah. There's literally 17, there's just 17 pages of the Bible. And he doesn't even have that. He doesn't have a Bible. He has oral tradition about the creation story, maybe this flood thing, and that his great-great-grandfather, Abraham, God did something special for him. And there's a couple stories that his grandfather had and his father had. That's all that Joseph has. This is going to be important, so just keep that in mind. Okay? Genesis 37, verse 2. Joseph, a young man of 17. Okay, timeout. And I'm not going to hit timeout every five words, I promise, because we have a lot to cover today. But I do need to say this. Students in the room, you need, you can't blow past a word that says 17. It is so important for you to see. What I want you to know is some of the most powerful, formative faith experiences I've ever had in my life were when I was a teenager. So, and, and, and this is a teenager. We pick up, Joseph is a teenager, and we're going to see that he is at work in his life. That, that, that God, God is working in his life, even at 17. And the point I want you to see, students, is God is at work in your life now. He's at work at your life, calling you, guiding you, leading you to where you need to be in life. I believe, I, guys, I, I believe that so strongly. And I just want, I don't want to blow past the story thinking it's, it's some old guy in the Bible. I want you to think of like Harry Potter. Think of like, this is like a teenager. This is somebody, this is a coming of age story. All right, so Genesis 37, 2. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks of his brother, uh, uh, with his brothers. He had 10 other brothers at this time. The sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, Name, name ideas, anyone? Going for it? Once, twice? No names. Okay, cool. Um, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Okay, so we learn right away that Joseph's a little bit of a tattletale. Okay, not cool. Verse 3. Now Israel, that's another name for Jacob, that's his dad, loved Joseph more than any of the other sons. Not cool. Because he had, not, he had been born to him at, in his old age, and he had an ornate, uh, made an ornate robe for him. And when his brothers saw that his father loved 
him, Joseph, more than any of them, they did what probably any other brother would do. They hated him. Did you catch this? Jacob's an old, he's an older, older gentleman. He had a, a, this baby. This, so, so Joseph's the young baby. He's the favorite. He has this special coat. Nothing reminds you more. Like the, the, the uh, scripture tells us, it's like this colorful coat. So it's just screaming favorite every time that he's around. It's, it's just like right in the face of these brothers. And they hated him for it. And they could not speak a kind word to him gets worse. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream. Actually, he had two dreams. And I'll summarize the dreams. Like, he has these two dreams of where basically there's these bales of hay, and there's 11 of these bales of hay, one for each brother. And the other brothers, the other bales of hay, bow down to Joseph's bale, which is like just weird, but it's, it's super weird because like he's the youngest, so they, he should be bowing down to the rest of them, but no, they're bowing down to him. He has another dream with stars and suns and moon where like the whole, it's like basically the whole family's bowing down to him. He's like, and he does what any kid does that's not thinking about it for a second. They're like, isn't this cool? Tells them all about the story. You're like, they had these dreams and you're in the dreams, you're bowing down to me. And they're like, great. This is awesome, man. Thanks for sharing, you know? And they hate him all the more. He had this dream, and, and when he told his brothers, they hate him all the more. Verse 5, and can you see, you know, the, we're set up for some conflict here in this story. In the five verses, we got a lot of conflict. First, part of it's Joseph's fault. He's cocky. He's a little bit of a tattletale. He's clueless. It's a little bit Jacob's fault, the dad's fault, right? Like, dads, you don't play favorites. Just don't do that, Right? But it's a little bit of God's fault, too. Like, God, why would God give him these dreams if he knew he was going to, you know, do this? Whatever, you know, regardless of whose fault it is, there's tension in the narrative, right? Okay, and I'll summarize what happens next. One day, Jacob sends Joseph to check, it says, to check on his brothers, which is, you know, again, not a cool move, not a good dad move. He should have seen that dynamics and probably taken Joseph out of that scenario. But Joseph does it. It's something he obviously doesn't mind doing. The brothers see Joseph coming and approach him, and they're like, oh, here comes that dreamer. Uh, and, the, and then one of them's like, hey, you know, here's an opportunity. Let's just get rid of him once and for all. And it probably just looked like this, like, you know, I don't think it was premeditated. I bet you they were just kind of sitting there watching him come in the distance, like, oh, here comes that dreamer. And one of them's like, let's just kill him. And one of them, the other brother, another brother's like, okay. And the other brother's like, no, are you serious? No, I am serious. Like, I'm sick of this. This, this, guy, this guy deserves it. You know, snitches get stitches. Let's do this. And, you know, who knows what it looked like, but they actually get the resolve to, to do this. Look at verse 23, 37, 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they grabbed him, stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into a cistern or like a hole or a well. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And the next part is so interesting. <laughs> You guys, the, the Bible, I love it. Once you stop, once you get through the layers of the, you know, that this is a super old text and it's not written to you and the language is like not necessarily the language we maybe use, there's some super interesting stuff. They'd strip him naked, throw him into a hole, and then look at verse 25. And then they sat down and ate lunch, ate their meal. And so catch, they're, they're sitting there, you know, eating, eating their sandwiches. And in the background, they're hearing, guys, hey, 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 Reuben. Reuben, hey, funny, ha-ha. 
Come get me now. Judah, you there? I know you, you guys, I know you guys are there. You're there, right? They're just eating lunch. And then so this is so funny. They um so they're like, uh, let's see, this is verse 25. And as they're sitting there eating the meal, they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balms, and myrrh. It's like a trade, you know, trade route. And they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Oh, that's true. That's a good, pro- that's a good point. If we kill him, we don't profit at, off of it all. Let's see if we can make some money on this. If we're going to do it, let's do it right. Verse 27, come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. And it's like all of a sudden mercy rises up in their heart. After all, he is our brother. Yeah, yeah, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. So much better. And then all of a sudden, so they agree, they pull Joseph out of the, the cistern, sell him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took him to Israel, or to Egypt. And suddenly, Joseph is a victim of human trafficking. This is what human trafficking looks like in a lot of parts of the world. Some of you guys know, like most of you guys know, we, we, that's our, our thing, that's our cause as a church, is to fight modern slavery. This is one of the... the, the the tactics are one of the primary ways that like Joiner National fights modern slavery. Uh, this is a very inter- like a very common scenario, especially in areas of extreme poverty around the world right now, where uh, someone is not. It's not like someone's kidnapped. It's more like somebody from is sold into slavery or is trafficked by a member of their family, which is really hard to believe. But honestly, like, you know, because some of it's like, oh, that's evil or that's greed. And, but in a lot of situations, it's a lot more nuanced than that. It's desperation. They, they, they have so many kids, they can't feed all of them. And so they, they decide to sell one of the daughters. No matter, no matter how it happens, it's, it's really sad, but it's, it's not uncommon to become a slave at the hands of, of a family member, just like Joseph did here. In this case, it was his brothers, and they all agree, that, uh, and they, they sell him for 20 shekels of silver. And, and in a blink of an eye, I mean, just put yourself in, in Joseph's shoes, or, or anybody's shoes who's in, this, in, in a trafficking situation. In a blink of an eye, your life is different. Your life has changed. It's, it's just, it's, it's got to feel like it's done. You got to be thinking, what's next? What am I being sold for? What will my master be like? What kind of slave will I be, you know? All of these questions, and then probably, probably some of these other questions were going on in Joseph's mind at this time. Why is this happening to me? Why me? What did I do wrong? I, I did nothing wrong. And, and maybe most of all, like he's, he's a person of faith. What is, God, what, what is God, where is God in this? Had to be some of the things he was thinking. Go to chapter 39. 39 verse 1, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, he was the captain of a guard. So there's, there's this guy, his name's Potiphar, he's high up in the Egyptian hierarchy, he's, you know, he knows the Pharaoh. Bought him, for Ish, uh, for the Ishmael, bought him from the Ishmaelites who, took, who had taken him there. So he's carted off. Um, and he's taken into um, Potiphar's household. And then the, there's this phrase in verse, in verse 2. 
It says the Lord with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And, and honestly, again, if, if, you're, if we've read the Bible for a long time, we just have to, we have to slow down when we read the Bible because this doesn't fit. Okay, because like, I don't know about you, but it's like, no, the Lord was not with Joseph. If, jo- if the Lord was with Joseph, he'd be at home with his mom and his dad and his ugly brothers. They would be in Egypt, in Egypt building pyramids. You know, like that's, that's what justice would be if God was in control. If God was with Joseph, why would he be here? If God was in charge, the good things would happen to good people. Bad things would happen to bad people. Period. Simple. I mean, that's how you and I would do it. So don't tell me that the Lord was with Joseph. Because if he was, this, Joseph wouldn't be here. Which is how we feel sometimes, right? We can identify with that. If the Lord was with me, this would be different. If I trusted the Lord, and if the Lord was with me, this scenario would be better. We wouldn't be stuck here. We wouldn't be facing this. I wouldn't be have to deal with this. I wouldn't be stuck feeling this way. You know? In fact, let's just do this. Like, like fill in the blank for yourself. Just as you, if you think about it. Think about if God was with me, what might be different in your life? For some of us, we got to think about that for a second. For some of us, we can fill in that blank right away. We were thinking about it this morning or last night laying in bed. We're like, if God was with me, this would be different. It would be easier. It would be better. And see, this is good. The reason I'm pausing here is it's good for us to call that out. It's good for us, believers or not, it's good for us to call out out what's these things because they mess with us they mess with our theology they mess with our view of God they, they have a, a way of, of tainting our view of God or maybe thinking that God is something that he is not and, and so but here's here's what I want us to see like the, the, I think this is so important and this is why I think the Bible is so genius is I think that the author of it, it, it's it's very apparent the author of Genesis put this statement in there very much on purpose because it's incongruent with the rest of the context. It doesn't fit the context. But the author of Genesis made a very clear point here to make it a point that God was with Joseph even in difficult times, even in the midst of, of very difficult times, that God was still with Joseph. Question. If God was with Joseph in his difficult times, is it possible that he's with us in ours? Just hold on to that. Let's go back to the, the passage. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. This is verse 2, 39, verse 2. So that he prospered. And he, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, so there's something about Joseph that other people notice, like when this guy does stuff, it, it works. He saw when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything that Joseph did. Joseph found favor in the eyes and became his attendant. Makes sense. Potiphar, in fact, went this far. He's like, Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household and he entrusted in his care everything that he owned. 
Potiphar's smart. He sees this young slave that he owns, that just everything that he does prospers, so he just gives him more, and he gives him more, and he gives him more to the point where there's no more left to give him. <laughs> he's, given him oh, he's given him everything that he owns is under Joseph's care. And see, this detail helps us understand. This is important to note. We can't blow past this. To understand how Joseph is acting in horrible circumstances. Because guess what he's not doing? He's not doing his very least. He's not trying to sabotage his master. From this passage, from this, these details, we learn this, I mean, this, you know, God, it's really hard for God to, to bless laziness. <laughs> you know, he, Joseph is obviously working hard in this situation. Can you believe that? Why would he do that? What, what, what causes him to work hard in a scenario like this? Could it be that he's just doing what someone would do? If they're 100% confident that This is an important detail. This is good. He wasn't trying to slip away or find his way home. He wasn't trying to sabotage his master. He wasn't trying to lead a revolt. Ah, slaves unite. Let's, let's you know, overtake. He, was just sim- he wasn't just even simply just doing the, little, the least he could do to get by and not get beat. You know, he's just simply doing what anyone would do who's 100% confident that God is with them even in hard situations. And Potiphar took notice. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. From the time he put Joseph in charge of his household and all that he owned, and this had to be so frustrating, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. (laughs) The blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had because of Joseph, both in this house and his field, verse 6. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he didn't have to concern himself with anything except for the food he ate because of Joseph. And if I was reading this and I was Joseph as a person who's not 100% confident that God is with him all the time. I was reading this, like, like, I like to think, like, this is a movie, you know, and there's the narrator, and then all of a sudden, the character breaks the fourth wall and starts talking to the narrator. Like, the narrator's like, and the Lord blessed this, and the Lord blessed that, all because of Joseph. If I was Joseph, I'd be like, hey, you know what? Can, can you just tell God to bless me because of me? You know, I think it's great and wonderful that, that my slave owner is blessed, because of me, but would it be too much to ask a little blessing come my way because of my faithfulness? But no, the text says that God chooses to bless Potiphar because of Joseph. Now I wish I could say that the story gets better because of Joseph's faithfulness, but it actually gets worse. You guys, if you're familiar with the story, you know what happens next. Enter Potiphar's wife who it uh, says in verse 6 that she noted, like, it says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. I wish, that'd be, I would take that description. Yes, that Josh over there, he's well-built and handsome. <laughs> yeah, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his wife's, his master's wife, took notice of Joseph and said very awkwardly, come to bed with me. Talk about a pickup line. <laughs> Once again, Joseph finds himself in this very no-win situation, right? 
You know, like, like there's just nothing great he can do here. If he gives in, eventually she'll just kind of, she'll probably tire of him and kick him to the curb, right? Or they'll get caught. Or if he, you know, on the other side, if he refuses and does what's right and says no, you know, that could go bad well. He could offend her and get into trouble. And, and, and if you don't know the story, like this is what happens. Joseph, he's, he's like, no, I refuse to do this. <laughs> he plays the you're not my type kind of line. He's like, you know, I'm Hebrew, you're Egyptian, I'm young, you're not so young, uh, I'm single, you're married to my master. Yeah, like, like he, says, he says this, but he refused with me in, in charge, he told her. My master does not concern himself with anything in, my, in his house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to, in my care. This is verse 9. No one is greater in his house than I. My master has withheld nothing from me except for you because, by the way, you are his wife. Hello. You know, if it doesn't work, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my God? <laughs> Which, P.S., who has not done much for me lately, you know? This is a huge response. It helps us to see that, that Joseph was faithful and like even brings God into it even here. It's, it's just crazy to think, like, I, I, I mean, it's, it's good to pause and, and reflect on, on how, noble, what, how noble what Joseph is doing here. Here he is, this is 20-something. He's barely 20 years old at this point. And he's able, like, he's not trying to re-engineer his circumstances or find out a way to do it. He's just simply doing what he thinks is, is right. And catch this, he doesn't have a Bible he doesn't have a church. He doesn't have a community. There, there was no, like, this is a couple thousand years before Jesus walked the earth. This is like, this is, he's got 18 pages of oral history of a God that's at one point in time did something cool for his great-grandfather and told him that he's going to be with them. And he has faith. It's pretty cool. See, it, what we learn from Joseph is in the midst of your difficult circumstance, whatever that is right now or whatever it has been or whatever it will be, your job, our one and only assignment is to just simply ask the question, what would somebody who is you do if they were completely confident that God was with them? And then do it and leave the results up to God. It's very simple. It's not easy. To trust God is with us and to live as if God is with us. The text says that day after day, very persistently, not very creatively, she propositioned him. And something happens. She, she kind of like pushes the envelope one day, kind of grabs him. He runs out. And, and then all of a sudden, all the alarms go off. And, and Potiphar, you know, and his security come rolling in. Like, what happened? She's like, he tried to rape me. And she plays that card, and, and Joseph gets thrown into jail. But hey, there's good news. Check this out. Verse 20, the second half of verse 20, chapter 39. But while Joseph was in the prison, the Lord was with him. So everything's all right, right? At which point, I, if I was Joseph, I'd just be in prison, again, talking to the narrator, and I'd be like, at this point, I'd be like, I love God and all, but God, can you just go be with someone else? <laughs> you know? 
In fact, God, can you just go be, I'd really, I, I, I want to pray that you go be with my brothers. Go be with them a lot. <laughs> I'd love to see you do that. I, I need a little bit of space from you, God, right now, because the whole you're with me is, is literally killing me. Mm. I'm sure there's moments, I'm sure there was, there's full, we don't get the details, but I'm sure there was some dark times, some miserable moments for those months, and it might have even been years to come where, where, G, where, where Joseph is just asking, what did I do? The Lord was with them. Let's keep reading verse 21. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. Responsible for all that was done there. The warden, the warden was, didn't have to pay attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. But God, this isn't what I wanted to did. You know, this is not what I want. And even though we're not in prison, we can all relate. We can all, we can all feel what he's feeling. We felt that way before. We're like, I, I, this isn't what I had in mind. This is not what I wanted. And we have to remind ourselves that in the midst of difficult circumstances, you and I have one job to do, and that's not to re-engineer our circumstances. And, and, and I just want to say this. And this, this is hard in one thing, and it's freeing in another. Do you know it's also, it's not our response, it's not our responsibility to re-engineer our circumstances. It's not our responsibility to sort it out, to figure it out. If God is God and we are not, our job is not to take charge or to, to, to take matters in our own hands. Our job is simply to let God be God and let him sort it out and see what happens. Our job is simply to be faithful. And, and here's why, because we could push back and say, but, but, but why, but why? Why would, you know, why be faithful? How do we know we can trust God? And, and here's the big idea that we learn from Joseph. This is our big idea for today. It's simply this. When you, when you respond in your current circumstances, as if God is with you, you get a chance to see God in your circumstances. As somebody who's followed God long enough and through some difficult circumstances. And you don't know this when you're in it, but this is, this, is, this is the crux of faith. This is what faith and trust in God looks like, especially in the beginning, especially in, in the first parts of our faith, although it's, it's present throughout. We continually come back to this. We continually come back to, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to trust you. But especially in the beginning, this is so hard. And if this is you, if, the, if you're in the front of your faith and you're like, I just don't know if I can trust you, if I can trust God, I just want you to know that these dark times are actually incredible opportunities because when you respond in your current circumstances as if God is with you, you will see God 
come to life in your current circumstances. Said another way, when we trust God in our current circumstances, it gives God a chance to do incredible things in our current circumstances. And if you think about it, there really is no substitute for that. If we take things and matters into our own hands and try to muscle our way out of it or fix it ourselves, if it works or it doesn't work, no matter what the, the, the result is, God isn't a part of those results. And I think that's why God is okay with difficult circumstances. It's because he knows he's not the end of the world. They don't get the end of the, the story. They don't get to sit, get the end of the say at the end of the story. And more than that, he knows that if we trust him during those times, he gets a chance to prove himself faithful. Which is, guys, for me personally, has been such a huge part of my faith-building experience. Maybe yours. Maybe it's your future story as well. I think, honestly, if you're in a difficult situation right now, and today you choose to trust God, whatever that means, whatever decision that means, whatever that means you have to do or say or, or keep doing or, or, or quit or whatever, here's what I firmly believe. I think when we pray prayers like, God, I don't know, I don't know if you're with me, but I'm going to act as if you are. I'm going to trust as if you are. I think God is up in heaven saying, oh, game on. I think he's rolling up his sleeves, starting to work out things in your life in the, in the days, months, years to come where we'll be able to look back and say, I was in a dark time, but I trusted, and he was there for me. But I'm getting ahead of myself because that's not where Joseph is. Right now he's in prison. And that's actually where we're going to leave him today. And the question is, we'll go back to our question, Trevor. What would somebody who is you do if they were completely confident that God was with them? The, the real question, the crux of it is, is how do you trust God when it, does, when it seems like he isn't with you? How do you trust God when it feels like he's not there? What does that look like for you? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for these words, for this story. It's, it's, incredible. it's incredible that we have it, that we can hold it, that we can read it, that, that, that we can take it home and just pick it up and read it more this afternoon. It's, it's there for us anytime. And yet we forget its words, we forget its theme, we forget its motto, its moral. Lord, I help, help me, help us believe that you are with us. And more than just believe, help us to live as if that's true. Would you be with my friends, whatever's going on in their hearts and their minds right now, whatever they're sorting out, whatever they're thinking about, would you meet them there? Would you give them courage to be able to trust you even now? pray all this in your name. Amen.